down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. episode 142 of the Art of War Down Under podcast. My name is Adam Camilleri. I am joined by uh, the boy king, the reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the Streamhouse, having just conquered all in the Streamhouse RTD with the spicy spiky boys themselves, the Chaos Knights, which is what we are here to do and discuss and to do a codec retrospective episode upon. He, of course, is the boy king, John Lennon himself. Welcome to the show, brother, once again. How you doing? Hey Adam, always good to be back. Uh, always good to hear from you. We we enjoyed having you in the United States, but uh, at some point we were told that Australia needed a champion, and so uh, we're glad you made it home safe. Uh, gnashing across across Australia, gnashing ensues. Uh, yeah, I am <laughs> champion of the people, maybe of the tabletop, debatable. Uh, but. We are here to discuss one of your and my favorite armies, and discussing why and how this became a favorite army of mine is a tale in of itself. This is the Chaos Knights of the Renegade Knights. I really actually don't know which one to call them all of the time. I refer to them both at all times. They are Chaos Knights on the on the cover of the Codex, however, so they, they shall be referred to as thus. Yeah, I do Chaos Knights, because Renegade Knights was like the, the, the free PDF like download back when they didn't have any unique... Yeah. Uh, like, units i feel like renegade knights was just you take imperial knights and you strap a spike on yeah and then chaos knights is its own thing its own identity yeah i i, I kind of agree or maybe it's more like the the renegade knights of the free blades or the or as as were the um as as are like the renegade chaos sorry renegade space marine chapters to the chaos legions you know um as the renegade knight is to the chaos knight yeah that's fair that's fair um, all right well uh I'm excited to dive in on this one. Yeah, me too, mate. So um, this is a Codex Retrospective episode, and I am charging headlong through the rest of these and hoping to get them all done by the time 10th edition drops, but we do not know when that is, most likely sometime in June. So expect a lot of retrospective looks at Codexes. And it's going to be funny when I get to the end, like the the like the world the world leaders in the Astro Militarum, and they've been like, it's it's they've been out for like three months, and I'm doing a retrospective on them. But anyway, for those who do not know, uh, Art of War Then Under is a two-part podcast. The first part comes out Tuesday mornings for you guys, 5 a.m. Eastern Standard time and part two can be found over on patreon at art of war down under you cannot find it anywhere else in the big wide world of warhammer uh you can only find it there sam lemon um john anything you would like to plug absolutely so i always love to plug everything with the art of war hopefully you know what that is if you're listening to the show but uh make sure that you check out uh, our youtube channel we've been putting up a ton of free content as we get ready for 10th edition we've been reviewing basically everything that games workshop has put out as well, you can get a lot of wonderful, high-quality content in the War Room. That's our uh, premium platform where uh, some of the best players in the world can teach you how to get better at the game you love. If you've perhaps been a War member in the past and uh, left us for whatever reason, no hard feelings, uh, now is a really good time to check it back out because we're offering a free three-day trial on our website, thewarroom.vhx.tv. And uh, we also have an app that uh, you get access to automatically if you sign up through the website. Dude, um... Legit, I was so impressed, so super impressed with the the app. Like legit, it is it is like you it is like Netflix. You just you just jump on the app and just watch whichever video you want of that of a huge backlog of amazing content. So, really, really huge. Yeah, I, really, the goal was to get something that you could like watch in the background mm-hmm. uh, because you know one of the pro- YouTube's awesome. One of the problems is you kind of have to leave YouTube up on your phone if you're watching a video. 
And we specifically made sure our app would not have that problem. Mm. So if you want to listen to something while you're multitasking, while you're running in the morning, while you're cooking dinner, and you don't want you to have your screen open the whole time, you can do it. Also, I downloaded a bunch of uh, the Streamhouse RTD Chaos Night games and watched them while I was on a lengthy, lengthy flight recently to, you know, parts unknown. So always oh, a good thing beautiful. as well. You just unload them, sorry, download them, watch them while you're offline. Not a big deal. But let's get done and into this retrospective. So starting off at page 55 for the, what I call, and I coined before, the spicy, spiky boys, the Chaos Knights, uh, we have the detachment abilities. The two, the two of which are really worth noting here is discussing how Iconoclast and Infernal have held up since this book came out. And like you do with all retrospectives, we go in and we have a top-down look at each section of the book that contains relevant rules, and we talk about which parts have been good, which parts have been bad, what has seen play, and what has shown itself to be proven uh, to the player base. And also, it has this been a good section or a bad section for the book and for the faction so my man icono and infernal discuss all right so iconoclast and infernal is conceptually the same as it was going into this book like mm-hmm. this is something that kind of stayed the same from the old cast night codex yep although they nerfed infernal a little bit and going in i think we all were so excited about all the options we're like mm-hmm. oh these are both good uh if we're talking about what has aged well and what hasn't Infernal households have not aged well at all, in my opinion. Yeah, unfortunately. And that's the one where you can take one mortal wound for a roll on a table, or take D3 mortal wounds to choose a result from a table in your command phase to get a little buff uh, for the next turn. Mm. Um, You know, it's good buffs, you know, plus three move, transhuman, and plus one to wound on one weapon. Uh, Like, those are all objectively good rules, but I think just by the nature of how the army plays, Infernal household has turned into... uh, a small bonus stapled onto a different choice. Yeah. I have never talked to a Chaos Knight player who chose an Infernal household because they wanted an Infernal. They've always chosen an Infernal household they like, and they're like, well, I have to be Infernal to take House X. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, I tend to agree. Like you are paying for uh, the, you're, you're giving up wounds for a more flexible uh, chapter tactic or more flexible mono faction bonus. Um, for being infernal, you're actually trading border wounds for those bonuses, or you can just have a premium, very good baseline chapter tactic, whatever monofaction bonus by just being iconoclast, and that has always been the thing for me. Um, I feel like the the D three should be should be gone in, in infernal. I feel like you should you should take you could you can roll for zero wounds, or you can pick for one, and that would be so much more palatable because as soon as you roll. Like you try and move three inches and you roll three mortal wounds and you lose, what is that? It's a quarter of your knight. Yeah. It's not a thing. It's just not a thing you can conscience uh, that is going to carry you and win you games and continue to add value over turn over turn. Yeah, that's the big thing is that you can't use the infernal buff more than once. Like every time I see someone use the infernal buff, it's I'm stepping this knight out. I know it's going to die next turn. Now it's a 10 wound knight instead of a 12 wound knight. Yep. I'm never planning on doing this twice. Yeah, and if exactly. a knight happens to survive, it kind of stops overcharging at a certain yeah. point. Yep, because like at some point you're going to bracket yourself doing this. Like Correct. If you just if you just have every knight do this, mm-hmm. you're like if your opponent didn't kill a model, you would still lose like eighty percent of your army by the end yes. of the game. If yes. you just sat yeah. there and did. Well, because every knight's going to take five d three mortal wounds or minimum five if you if you just roll. Everyone's taking minimum five mortal wounds across the game if you use this every turn. So it's always been always been the discussion point for me. Why not just take something that is good all the time 
and play around that rather than taking something as conditional when I have to give up resources to do. Also, um, Infernal, I believe, was predicated on knights feeling durable, and they have not felt durable this edition. Yeah, like it's hilarious to me that one of the options is to transhuman a knight to yeah. take D three mortal wounds. I'm just like, Why? what am I possibly? <laughs> what am I doing here? If I had, if you have only one knight, they can see, and you're willing to. It's got some other defensive goodness, and I don't know, some other stuff is, and your your opponent has just nothing but las cannons. Sure, <laughs> still yeah, gonna I'm, die. I'm, it's I'm, not gonna save you. I'm thinking of my my opponents like salamander heavy uh, yeah. eradicators. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. what? What would I do this against? Yeah, this doesn't doesn't make any sense. All right, next thing to talk here is just the first time we've had dread tests uh, mentioned or dread abilities, uh, and so it just points out the dread tests is you know you take the two d six you know uh, mechanic pretty much one of the few armies in the game that has made morale seem interesting and made the morale phase a, a cool place to exist and have mechanics around. How do you feel about dreaded abilities, brother? dreaded abilities have aged super well they have held the army up they've given it unique flavor that made chaos knights feel like a unique faction for the first time mm-hmm. literally ever other than like just like a random like white dwarf supplement to an imperial knight codex that yeah. they copy and paste it over yep um no, dread, dreaded abilities are it's the best part of the book mm. it's everything that makes chaos knights unique so i'm i'm super happy with this mechanic honestly people have asked me like wish listing and my wish list is that they copy and paste this over to 10th edition i agree I agree. make minimal changes so that it mechanically works with whatever mm-hmm. they change you know morale to but like no ev- everything about this is perfect has never needed a nerf has always felt good enough beautiful all right we are into the dread households but we need to talk about this in two halves because of course we have the iconoclast and we have the infernal halves of this house now it was always it was even noted in our initial my initial review that these houses are not created equal there is a very distinct difference in the power you get from your house depending on with your iconoclast or infernal the iconoclast houses are generally worse like significantly worse the package the overall package is significantly worse than the infernal houses but the infernal houses come with the worse buff you know the the d3 damage tables and all those things is that safe to say yeah i think in general um of the named like of the named six houses i think four of them are remotely interesting Mm -hmm. all three of the infernal ones and like one iconoclast one exactly two of the iconoclast ones are just hilariously unpalatable Mm -hmm. but in saying that i have literally seen house herpetrax taken probably 80 percent of the time uh in in tournament lists and then i've seen a little bit of vectric vectrix and uh was it i I can't remember was was it commentus or was it it um there was a little one Corvax has been this spicy, weird one for people, which I haven't, yeah. I've never seen take root. But there was another one that was played initially at the start of it. I can't. Remember. It wasn't Vectrix and it wasn't Herpetrax. I don't mind. It might have been Lucaris or one of the other ones. But sorry, what do you think, mate? Yeah. So my take on it is really just that um, Herpetrax. I think go like right when we got the the Chaos Knight book, a lot of people were just like Herpetrax is math better, and then a lot of people were like, I'm playing a Chaos Army. I want to do tricks better. And so early on, you saw a lot mm. more variety. But I think by the summer because i think this book came out in like april april or may yeah i want to say it came out in april or may and uh, of 2022 and i think by like july august time people were really just coalescing around herpetrax as mm. the correct answer and then it was just spice and flavor yep. if you were doing something else yeah um and that that's maintained the same um it's a little disappointing because i was i was on the snowflake uh bandwagon mm. when the book came out I was not playing Herpetrex for the first couple months. I was all about uh, all the different uh, ways you could play the army. 
Uh, I was like, ooh, I'm going to be like a customed Red Bull mm-hmm. household or mm-hmm. something. And, and, and it ended up just being Herpetrax is the right answer. It is just the right answer. So for those who do not know, Herpetrax just gives you more wounds on your knights, adding two wounds to all the war dogs and four wounds to Titanic. So when you have an army that is 13 war dogs, you are adding 26 effective wounds, as in essentially two more knights. Yeah, essentially playing with 13 models, but 15 wounds of models, you know? It, it was just the value pick, um, undeniably. And, of course, on the right side of things, yeah? Yep, and and it's, of course, it's on the Iconoclast exactly. side, which I, I will say I did I did notice immediately, yep, Iconoclast is what I want. Yeah, it's just unfortunate. Um, it did not take me long to figure that part out. Yeah, uh, it, it really does just add a tremendous amount of wounds. Um, yeah. yeah, as you said, potential 26 wounds if you go just all dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the rest of Herpetrex isn't anything inspiring their stratagem's pretty good the world of trade's pretty good the relic is something you're never going to take uh but it really just ends up being yep this is mathematically more beef this is more quite as durable as imperial knights usually Mm -hmm. and so just having everyone be a little bit thicker really adds up it also affects uh degradation points yeah pushes you above a couple of breakpoints on the uh how many well so they degrade at seven they degrade at six wounds left six at 14 yeah that's that's pretty yeah, good so you're pushing it too too further away from the mid bracket which i like a yeah, lot yeah you have to lose eight wounds before you're yeah. actually degraded and then it helps that dogs don't degrade too badly mm-hmm. so like you don't really feel it until bottom tier which mm-hmm. is you have to have taken 11 wounds at that point yeah overall I think the dread households. The, sorry, the six named dread households. Uh, it's not a. It's not a part of the book that I love. It's a part of the yeah. book I want to adore, but the rest of the rest of the book doesn't enable it. So I'm going to say it's a good portion of the book, but it it let me down because there's so much flavor in there I want to use, but can't. Like it's can't. Like the way the the army plays and the way the meta is coalesced around chaos knights that you can't activate all that juice. Yeah. It. Uh, unfortunately, it just. It just is that way. Like it's mm-hmm. just a lot of the households, like House Chimer and House Lucaris. Like I, I, honest, honest, God, Adam, I would be impressed if you could tell me a single rule from them, even if you've read them. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. All right. Um, yeah, because like, none of it matters. <laughs> All right, up to the builder bear portions. The uh, we got the Felbonds, then we got the Infernal builder bears and the Icono builder bears. Um, oh, sorry, the Iconos are first. Um, there is some really good stuff in here. There are some really good options. What are your thoughts? Yeah, the Iconoclast uh, Dread Households. Mm-hmm. And th- to be clear, this is like the successor custom Build-A-Bear traits, like yeah. I said. And they're also the traits that you can slap onto a Dread Blade if you want to ally one in like a Pre-Blade. Yeah. Um, I, again, uh, this is one where a lot of these were being discussed early, and then it very quickly consolidated down into most of these never get taken. Mm. And it's weird because a lot because there's a lot of good ones in here, and a lot of them looked good, but ended up never mattering. Yeah, like bold tyrants plus one AP within eighteen inches. Like first week I had the codex, I thought this was the best one in the book. Yeah, and I was wrong. Uh, you'll notice, by the way, that I'm not actually that great at like initial hot takes. The second we get something, <laughs> I, I need I need about I need about a month to really get the good stuff going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or or a couple of games. Um, like frenzy invaders, uh, exploding six in melee. Yeah, I, a lot of people at Art of War coach Anthony Vanilla was like, "Oh yeah, you just take frenzy invaders, carnivores, mm-hmm. and you run people over." Mm-hmm. And now you never see bold tyrants or frenzy invaders anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the only ones that you see are worthy offerings yep. as a dreadblade ally, never as a main fleet, yep. main uh, main trait. And then you ever so occasionally see someone take precision cruelty. 
Yep. But really not that often. Yeah, agreed. Um, on the Infernal side of things, many people aren't really taking Infernal, but there are a couple here that are worth noting. Uh, where is it? The uh, Warp Vision, which is the Nord Light Cover, is not awful, uh, which can be quite good at times. Was there another one? There was one more in here that was pretty respectable. Yeah, there, there's one more that pops up. Um, so Warp Vision is is a one another one that I see like as an ally where yeah. you put on some like executioners and they ignore like cover and that's just good for AP2. Mm. Um the other one that I see again on occasion is uh biomechanical fusion, that's which it. lets you get the demonic surge even though you're a dreadblade and they normally yep. don't get them. Yep. And the reason that I see that always is people ally in one or two carnivores to a shooting list mm-hmm. and they just say, whatever, I can eat this thing 17 inches if I want. Correct. And it'll yeah. just die when it does, but it's just up there to go put everything in dread range, contest an objective and punch one thing to death. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And for and for what it is, I think this is another good section of the book, but you cannot deny the Herpetrack's value. And so unfortunately, this stuff is a lot of this stuff is very good. Dark forging is the funniest crap ever, by the way. So, for those who do not know, this is a thing that exists that has never been taken. That to- team tournaments and team player, team tournament goers have wanted to play f- for forever. So, at four inches to the range of, um, sorry, to the range characteristic of ranged weapons models are equipped with, add one to the strength and damage characteristic of heavy stubbers that models are equipped with. And then each time a model with this Felbond selects a target for a heavy stubber, uh, you can ignore the look at Sir Roll. <laughs> So you have was that strength five damage to uh, is it oh, th- strength six strength six damage to uh, stubbers with forty inch range, um, and, <laughs> and you could just snipe with them. You take thirteen dogs, and you've got you just uh, like Eldar players cannot use their farseers. Demon princes are actually scared. Like your heralds, instant dead. Stuff like that. GSE, like you know, how many mortal wounds are you going to take passing off all these stubber saves? It's actually kind of cute. Yeah, it's very, it is genuinely cute. I really would love for it to work. It doesn't. Um, <laughs> it doesn't, to be clear. Just yeah. stubbers are just so unreliable, which is, it's funny, because like you you would think that it would work, honest to God. It would. You think it would terrify. Really, really would. Uh, yeah, it would. Anyway, it doesn't. Um, so jumping yeah, over. If you, want, if you want to hear something funny, by the way, do a, a 13 dog list. I'm pretty sure it kills like two demon princes a turn with stubbers. It does. That's why I mentioned it. We we did the math a while ago when we were doing some uh, some team prep, and I was like, "Does this is this just good? Does this just terrify some people?" And we we looked at it. I'm like, "Man, it actually just it actually just wastes like a lot of the medium like punchy punchy griblies out there. It's kind of hilarious. And the fact that you you're on the you're on the infernal side, so you can you can plus one to wound those stubbers if you really wanted to. God, you really could, holy God. <laughs> so you all of a sudden you actually start like wound bracketing thirsters with your stubbers and stuff. But uh well, it's but then you just shoot them with the normal guns. Exactly right. <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh this is a very good this is once again a very good portion of the book you've never used. Yeah, a bit disappointing. Yeah, uh disappointing. All right, up to the stratagems, brother. Give us your what are your go-to good takes? Like what are the things you use game in, game out with your spiky boys? And uh what are the what's the trash? Yeah, so a lot of the trash is honestly the um the different like pack hunter mm. style uh, ones where there's um you know like if you like you can get plus one attack if you get multiple war dogs in a combat yeah that's good it just rarely comes up because mm. um, it's usually just one CP plus two attacks which is fine just not like super exciting honestly yep um a lot of the specific war dog stratagems end up not really being taken 
Um, there's another one where you uh, uh, like like a couple of the god specific ones don't really matter. Mm. And then um, yeah, but like and then like oh like there's one that gives a what is it a war dog a plus one to hit against uh, against aircraft. Yeah, which I've never never ever used that. yeah well aircraft have kind of gone the way of the dodo especially in the last six months uh there are some pretty good ones we do not miss them <laughs> fair but yes uh spiteful demise is the one i think you're about to say it was which is the auto explode strat correct that one's clutch my favorite one that got better than i thought it would be was doom and despair which is yeah. two cp to while your warlords alive add something from the dread table that one has ended up being amazing as i've gotten better and better at using the dread table mm-hmm. That one's been really nice. Uh, ones that I thought would be good and never were Death Grip. Yes. Yep. Yep. I've I've tried it against like Farseers that had a Fate Dice, and I just cannot for the life of me win that roll off. Mm. Uh, which one is the minus damage? Oh, uh, minus one damage is what is it? Is that unyielding rage? Let me. Yeah, un, unyielding rage. It's, oh yeah. Uh, the minus one damage of melee. That one's awesome. It is awesome. Uh, Beseech the Dark Gods is surprisingly good. Now, in hindsight, we've seen that that was like possibly the best one they could have had slapped onto them, which is yep, the, zomb- the, the four plus. Get back up, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. That, that one is, I've used a lot. Um, you know, one that I don't use that that I thought I would use. Uh, so, Trail of Destruction used to be two CP, mm-hmm. went down mm-hmm. to one, mm-hmm. and I stopped using it. And it's yep. real ones to hit against an enemy on an objective marker it for whatever be. reason. I just Never use it. Well, it used to be once to hit and once to wound, didn't it? For two CP. No, it was full reroll. It used to be two CP reroll hits oh, against okay. units on. Him. Yeah, and then it became one CP reroll ones to hit, which mm. like sounds like it's just half the half the cost, half the benefit. Yep. But for I just stopped using it, and I think it's because they put other ways to reroll ones in, mm. and then it just stopped mattering. But for whatever reason, stopped using Trail of Destruction in the new book. Fair. Uh, yeah. Last one, the best one, the greatest. What is it? Uh, the great, the best one is Ravenous Territions. Tell us the story. This is the 100%. literally this is the stratagem that sold me on wanting to play this faction. Beautiful. So Ravenous Territions is the uh, the beautiful one command point uh, in the morale phase. The morale phase, not yours, not mine, just the morale phase. Literally at any point. Uh, select one enemy unit within dread range of a keyword terror shade, which is everyone that was in the new box set, meaning it's the abominant brigand stalker carnivore. Yep. And they just take a dread test. If they fail, they take a mortal wound for each point they fail by. And there's so much more to this than it looks. Mm-hmm. So much better than it looks. Because it looks like it just, yeah, take a, an old-fashioned leadership check, maybe take a couple mortals, but like probably not. But by the time you power up the dread table, when you factor in that it's just within dread range, it doesn't require a line of sight, it could be a character... It's at any point in the movement phase mm-hmm. or in the morale phase. You can do it before someone takes a morale check. Yep. If you want to add a couple of casualties before they take it, you can use it after someone uses insane bravery to auto pass a morale check. If they've got one idiot left and they're like, well, I've got to pass this morale check and they slammed on two CP, then you terror shades. Then yep. you kill the one idiot. Anyways. Kill him anyway. There, yeah, there is a lot of game to Ravenous Terror Shades, and it seems to be that the both the skill check for people playing into um, Chaos Knights, as in negotiating the stratagem, not letting it hurt them. Uh, you see it all the time: people trying to hold mid uh, early game, trying to hold mid board objectives, while screening knights with stuff like crude hounds, and then like, well, one CP, they're gone, and I'm just in your morale phase when you moved them up, and now I'm just going to town. It is, it is really quite something. 
Yeah, it's really good into a lot of the cheap trash that will often yeah. frustrate a knight army. Yeah. It's really good at uh, sniping characters. Like, no joke, uh, when I play against Jeans Turkle, I take Assassinate, even though it's like the trappiest trap to ever mm. exist, because my, my honest-to-God logic is that at some point in the game, turn four or five, I'm going to start killing characters behind yep. walls with yep. fire shades. Yep, it's, it's, it's uh, unlike everyone else who's like, they can get a zero on it. You're like, you're you, Gene Steel Cold player, have to stop me getting a nine on this. Yeah, I can just yeah. do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll actually go get it if, yeah. if that's something sure. that I need. And that's literally just by doing the stratagem, like not even by killing him in the course mm-hmm. of the game. Yeah, yeah, it'll just happen. Like, obviously, one character usually dies to guns because it just, just finds itself in the wrong place. Yeah, exactly. But then, like, there's always like a bundle of four characters behind a wall and they're like mm-hmm. trying to stop you from getting there and end up just consolidating within 12 inches of a character who's behind a wall. And then it's like, all right, my morale phase, take a couple mortals. Your morale phase, take a couple mortals. Yep. My morale phase, take a couple mortals. Yep. yep. Exactly. Uh, it's great for finishing off things that get exploded on. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I'll just ju- just jam a knight into a ball, and I'll it'll die, it'll auto explode, and then whatever thing got the most wounded, I'll just start terrorizing them. Yeah, just start collecting. It's also one of the big ways because there's there's no there's no limitations on this. There's no lookout sirs. There's no whatever's. There's no can't use it against a vehicle or a monster or whatever. This is a great way of, of getting around wound caps. Um, if you have it power, is- yeah, it's very. <laughs> sorry, you go, mate. Yeah, it's annoying that a lot of the wound cap stuff happens to be leadership 10 or 11. Uh, like Phoenix Lords and Abaddon are, yeah. I think, like lead 10, 10 or 11. Uh, Catan are obviously lead 10. Gazcool is probably vulnerable to this, if I'm being honest. Yeah. He's well, probably 9 or 10. Like, I'm sure he's not. Probably, what, but. So I had I had someone explain this to me as a, as a, a European gentleman who who's a WTC level player. And he said um, he loves taking this versus Catan. Because what he'll do is he'll have his he'll get his Catan down to three wounds. And then be like, okay, I can't have them get one more wound and go to four, because then, you know, when they auto-heal, so I'm going to use Ravis Terranus Shades to do one mortal wound in the morale phase, so I can one-phase them next turn. And that has turned out to be, I think, I think kind of genius. Yeah, it can, if you've got uh, if you've got some debuffs on them, you can get a mortal wound out of exactly, this. Exactly, yeah. Um, sometimes. And the thing is, you just do it, you just do it twice. You do it once in the Necron player's yeah. morale phase, yep. you do it once in your morale phase. And if one of those two hits, that's a wound before they have their chance to heal. Exactly. And then you do six damage then with normal phase stuff, and then you're you yep, yep. two wound containing heals to three. You're exactly you're exactly good. But I think overall these stratagems are good. I think they're a good section of the book. They're not the modus operandi. They're not what powers up the book, but I think they're perfectly acceptable as a stratagem suite. Yeah. Uh, I actually want to mention two other stratagems. Yep. Uh, one is a winner, one is a loser. Uh, one of the winners in my mind is Reap and Rend, and that's the make an additional hit roll. Oh, yeah. Every time you make an attack with a the sweet profile of either a Reaper Chain Talent or a Reaper, uh, Reaper Chain Sword, which yep. is the big one in the little chain swords that everyone can hit. Yep. Uh, so just like a four attack model is like, oh, sweep, I make two attacks per. One CP, nah, I make three attacks per. Yeah. It makes a lot of and difference. That, yeah, it's just basically add your attacks. It's, this is why I don't. I didn't rate that one CP give plus one attack to like a couple war dogs in combat with one thing. Whenever I get to that point, I just spend a reap and rend, and I just tell one guy to get plus five attacks. Yeah, and that just ends up being better usually. Um, so I reap and rend to my mind better than I thought has ended up being pretty valuable, even if I don't use it every game. Mm-hmm. And then one that has ended up not good, uh, diabolic bulwark. That's that's rotating right, shields in, yeah. in in trade. Mm-hmm. It. It is the trappiest trapster trap that I I, th- I think that honestly most knight and chaos knight players that I see rotate ion shields about three times as often as they should. Mm-hmm. That's the ratio I think. I genuinely don't think I like to, I don't like to spend the stratagem more than once a game, 
and I like it if I can go through a game without spending it once. I think that's that's pretty well said, mate. Yeah, it's just it just when you're looking at the math, it's like what enemy units are putting so many invulns on me that a four up is so much better than a five up that I need it. And that's because usually it's never worth it just to save a knight. Yeah, it has to be you have to save the knight. Yes, the one that's going to give you the points, the one that's going to make the difference in the yeah. in the turns to come. This is so interesting as well because last edition in eighth edition, uh, you would slap down Ion Bulwark at every single opportunity because it took a four up to a three up on a lot in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you would rotate yeah. at every like yeah, old, old old school. You would rotate as often as possible. Yeah, and now it does and not matter because the game is so killy. A four up is irrelevant. Like it actually is relevant. It really is. Yeah. It really it's, is. it's really it's really a shame, mate. Um, all right. Next up, we have favor of the dark gods. This is the uh, dollar menu. It truly is a dollar menu. This one because there's there are so many options. There are three options per god, um, and then three options for undivided. And I hate to tell you, the undivided ones are easily the best. But there are some pretty good options there in for the gods. I think this is a really good mechanic. I'm actually a big fan of this, but it is a bit wordy and complex for my for my takes my my tastes. It is it is a mildly complicated, but uh, yeah, this is the 15 different points upgrades that you can buy for. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, for your your army, um, honestly, I want to look at like the corn ones and tell you that some of them are cool because I keep thinking about including one of the corn ones, but they have never once made the list. I think the entire corn chart is in the loose bracket, uh, mm. especially blood shield. Oh, and blood shield, it's my, not even blood shield. You, it's not even soul. blood shield. You're hurting my soul, mate. Yeah, blood no, shield is the once once per game turn off invulnerable saves, mm-hmm. and uh, for just for the melee. And since blood shield came out. We have had demons reverse what an invuln is. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, wow, it doesn't work into the all invuln faction. All right, let's check in with Harlequins, the other all invuln faction. And Harlequins went from a four up to a five up. And you're like, I don't need this barely anymore. Yeah. I barely even need this. Yep. And then you also kind of have a positive match with Harlequins anyway. And so you end up with like good anti invuln tech that does not work on the two armies that are all invulns. Yep, and then you look at, oh, look at Custodes. Well, they still get an armor save. Maybe this is a, a, a net minus one, because instead of having a four up, they'll have a five up. Or we look at what was Deathwing Terminus. Well, transhuman neuters, the amount of damage you were going to do anyway. So this doesn't really break the bank as for what you get. I, I still like it, man. I ain't going gonna, I ain't gonna, I, I to say it's bad, but the meta that this was good in is long gone, I think. Because I think Agreed. I loved it a lot versus Tyranids. And and somewhat versus orcs as well, but those those are not the heyday. Like they're not dominating the meta at the moment. They're not what you have to contend with. Like where do you, what what meta army do you actually is relying on invulns for durability? There are none that you need this into right now. Unfortunately, yeah. they're just like none of them are trying to rely on an invuln to save their life. Like guard barely even have invulns. Yeah, space marines. The only units with an invuln are the ones that happen to have a one up armor save. Yeah, cool. Because um, demons I, don't have an end. Because what I used to see, I used to yeah. see this on a carnivore that would yeet straight into your opponent's hive tyrant. That, that was the whole thing. Your hive tyrant, cool. You can have your hive tyrant, but if you want to use your hive tyrant, I'm going to position it so this carnivore can always get to him where he has to land after the overrun. And then all of a sudden, it was actually a really potent tool in that matchup. Yeah. Because even through even through catalyst with no with no involve, a carnivore would punk him. Oh yeah, that could really happen, and it's super deadly. So I I agree that was like a really cool thing that you could try to incorporate into you that you could try to incorporate into like a list but it just no longer matters i um, agree and then the other the other corn ones are all interesting but not enough to take agreed um, Some of them I shared as for the zinch ones which one do we say was is it a mirror of fates 
Mirror Fate is the one we see all the time, and it's the one we saw all the time as soon as the book came out. Yep. Uh, Mirror Fates is the CP regen and uh, lets you flip a dice to a six if you uh, yep. if you buff it. Uh, just great mechanics all the way around. Everyone likes CP. This book has enough good stratagems that that you want to use it. Um, yeah, again, the it seems really the common thread is that each of the gods have one <laughs> that you can seriously consider. <laughs> And you either do or don't take it. Uh, Mirror Fates is in the blue category. And then everything else is just like, eh, why is this Never heard of you. Uh, Because the same can be said for the Nurgle tree. Uh, which one is it? Is it Aura of Corruption, which is the minus one strength in a six-inch aura? Oh, sorry, we should we should talk about how these work. So you buy the points, and the points are different depending on which class of knight you are, Wardog, Abhorrent, or Tyrant class. And then should you get enough requisite kills... Or wounds worth of kills. So this is interesting. So you can't just do five wounds. So a war dog will trigger the second favored ability after you know th- this thing goes up another gear um, after you get a certain amount of kills, not wounds worth of kills, like I just said. So if you deal five wounds to a rhino, you don't trigger it. It needs to do a thing that had at least five wounds that you have killed. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah, it's killing the wound. It, it, it triggers off of the wound's characteristic of what you kill, not the damage you deal. Yeah. So if you do one wound to a 10 wound rhino, but it happens to be wound number 10 and you kill a rhino, you count as having offered 10 wounds to your favor. Yep. And it's five wounds to unlock it for a war dog, 10 to unlock it for an abhorrent. Theoretically, it's 15 for a tyrant class, which is like the Castle and Valiant. But no one has ever bought one of those an upgrade or bought one of those. So <laughs> this is very true. Um, but Aura of Corruption is fantastic. Beguiling Majesty is fantastic. Um, so the, the way these two work together. So this is, we, we've been talking about these as what Bebop and Rocksteady. I think was the the coined term for these two guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the yeah. You can do some cool cool debuffs. Yeah, the Aura of Corruption is a minus one strength aura, and it becomes a minus one toughness aura. And once you get a minus one toughness aura going, then suddenly sweep attacks and chain cannons yeah. are wounding things on twos and threes that they shouldn't be. And then all of your strength and like nine stuff is wounding former T5 on twos. And, and it, it adds up. Yeah. You know, your strength 12 wounds things on twos and it, it becomes pretty good. But the aura of corruption, I think, just doesn't mm. get in there because it's just one guy with a six inch aura and your opponent's like, oh. Which of these six identical defensive types <laughs> is the one that makes me toughness sick? Tough, minus one toughness. And you're like, oh, it's that one. And then that guy dies. Blown up. Gets there. And you're like, yeah. cool. Um, Beguiling Majesty is, a, is the, the good Slanesh one, which is yep, minus, one to, the minus one to hit, minus one to wound, and then becomes an aura of a minus one attack should you trigger it. So you can have one guy who's minus one to hit, minus one to wound. And, all of that is melee. Yes. Oh, that's true. That is true. Um, yeah, minus one to hit and wound in melee. But still good. It's still very good. <laughs> and then we get to then the, that guy gets shot. That guy gets shot. That guy gets deaded. Which one of these ones you ask your opponent, sir? Which one of these has uh, targets painted upon them because they actually have good rules? Ah, it is these ones, sir. Fantastic. Vanguard launchers. Go. Uh, next up, we have the undivided ones, and this is where we have the big winners. You want to unpack this? Yeah, the, these are honestly, in my opinion, the best two are both in this undivided tree. Um, so there are three here. One of them is. Um, uh, Mark is Warborn Stalker, which is just like a, uh, you can teleport or you, sorry, you can deep strike in. And then once you unlock it, you can once per game teleport, but that's not, nah. uh, the problem is that it, it, it takes a turn. It's not an immediate teleport. Yeah. That would be interesting. It's it would a, be interesting. If it was a, a long term teleport. Yeah. If it was a fail of darkness, um, it would be, wah. yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd be down for that. But, uh, Mark of the Dread Knight and Blessings of the Dark Master are the two that are really something to write home about. Because these are the two that you're willing to take on a big night, mm-hmm. whereas none of the ones before you even look at on a big night. Correct. 
Uh, so Mark of the Dread Knight is you get a six up, feel no pain. However, if you uh, get your five wounds worth of kills and get favor from the Dark Gods, you get a five up, feel no pain. Big Simple. deal. Big deal. Easy. Where that, where that, that is always good. Where that gets compounded is that you're taking House Herpetrax most of the time, which means you have more wounds with which to trigger five ups and six ups upon. So instead of being a 24 wound knight that has a six up, you could be a 28 wound knight who has a six up. And those four wounds, essentially, when you're rolling four six-ups, becomes a, another wound again. So you're, you're effective 29 wounds for that exchange. It's really co- it's really kind of cool how it compounds like that. It's unfortunate that this isn't the case with Nurgle. Correct. Because I genuinely think that this would have worked better. But somehow the two uh, undivided ones that you want are both defensive buffs. Yep. And so what happens is if you have one knight with Beguiling Majesty, minus one to hit and wound in melee, or or of corruption, a six inch or of minus one strength, maybe toughness. Your opponent looks at six knights running at them and says, "Which one has this? I want to shoot that one." Mm-hmm. When you have Mark the Dread Knight on one knight and there's six running at them, your opponent's like, "Which ones don't have the feel no pain? Exactly. I want to shoot those." It five. flips. It flips. You it start. Flips ta- you start tar- not targeting the ones that are defensive. You start targeting the easy kills rather than the ones that are going to hurt your ability to kill them later or hurt offensive abilities. Um, and that helps a lot. This is the big one, though. Uh, Blessing of the Dark Master. This is easily the best one of the pack. Um, each time attack is made against this model, your opponent cannot re-roll the hit roll, cannot re-roll the wound roll, and can't re-roll the damage roll. And should you get favored, which would be a 5 or 10 or 15 kills, like we said, um, you get trans hitman. You can only be hit on a, on a 4+, plus, and, you know, like I said, there are no re-rolls to those dice. It is huge. Yeah, the fact that this is literally the last one in the book definitely gave me a bit of a heart attack the first time I was reading it. <laughs> Where I was like, okay, like because like I read through the first four, you know, tables. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And then I got Dread Knight. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And it closed out with Dark Master. And I'm like, dear God, you could have let off with this and saved me ten minutes. Because <laughs> none of these exist anymore. This is the only one, and that one is easily the best. Like you could put two or three of the others together, and it still wouldn't be as good. And again, this is the one. This is literally the one that you put on a big guy. Yeah, yeah. If you have a, if you ever see a Chaos Knight list. With one big knight in it, you know it has Blessing of the Dark Master. It's the only way to do it. Correct. Uh, now, if they have two big knights, you could theoretically get spicy with the second one. But no, you can't. It's Mark of the Dread Knight. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, overall, there's no other way. How do you feel about the section of the book? Um, the ones that we thought were good aged really well. Mm-hmm. It makes me sad. And I'm, I, I'm not the... I'm one of the people who thinks this. I'm, it's not exclusive. I think that the approach to, to favors is you buy the best two or three, and you don't really try to fit any more in. And some people like taking Beguiling Majesty and Aura of Corruption, and some of the ones that are a little bit, ooh, wait, I'm just going to shoot that guy specifically first. Mm. Uh, because there are good buffs. Like Beguiling Majesty, if you get the minus one to hit, minus one to wound, and an Aura of minus one attack, if you get that into combat with the wrong World Leader's army, it's hilarious. Yeah. Just funny. But, but you just, that's just not reliable for me. So I always go with reliable other upgrades Correct. instead. Totally agree. Um, so I'm, I'm really disappointed in the middle tier mm, same. of this because the middle tier isn't worth taking. There's but little... the best few, oh, they're so good. Yeah, because there's so few good all the times. And then there's some very good, conditionally good. And so you just don't take those. You just don't say them. Anyway, I think it's a good section of the book. I like it. I like what it is. Like I said at the start, it's a little bit too wordy. I wish it could be condensed or a little bit more simple, but it is what it is. Uh, Warlord traits, mate. How do you feel about these? Um, I mean, the the best one here, which I will not 
No. Uh, I will not like I'm, suffer any debate on this, and I've had people disagree, no. No. and I just won't listen to them. Uh, Aura of Terror is the, genuinely one of the best warlord traits in the game. It's just, uh, and it's big guy only, which is a bit of a letdown because you mm. can't take it if you go all armagers. But uh, Aura of Terror, and I think this this section of the book actually helped well. Aura of Terror giving a uh, in dread range roll an extra dice on morale and dread checks to yep. the lowest. Massive, huge, just massive. Well, so. We, we, I talked about how this is one of the few armies in the game that made the morale phase work, and this is a, a actual, actually a phase that mattered. This is this is why, really. And because this Warlord trait exists, it activates so many other sections of the book to being relevant, where they would be very much forgettable uh, without it. And I'm with you. I, I, I will not conscious people debating this. This is the best one in the book. Is it the best one for the best army you can play when 13 dogs is arguably the best army? No, because you, you don't get to take this, so... This is the way I like to play the game. This is the way I respect and want to enjoy my book because I want a big boy with aura, teller, terror, and probably um, uh, dark, ma- ma- you know, mark of the dark master. But uh, yeah, love it. What are the other go tos? Um, there, there are two other ones that I think are honestly. There's three, but there's at least two others that I think are pretty good. Mm-hmm. One of them is War Haunted Hull, which leads into the all defense, mm-hmm. and it gives one deny to the warlord. And they get a five up feel no pain against mortals in the psychic phase. And uh, because there's only one psyker in the book, and this is the only way to add a deny to yeah. a non yeah. that guy psyker, or not non 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 that kind of knight. It's the only way to get a deny without taking the psyker. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there might be a way with like the weird corn stuff, but it's all a little bit weird. Um, this is just generically useful. You want yeah. to have, I like having one deny just as like a play option, just as like a hey. Please pre-measure. Please think about it because there's yeah. nothing worse than when your opponent passes quicken on a six and you're playing imperial guard. <laughs> and it's like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. I guess you can. I guess you can. Um, I I don't like that it's um that's it's psychic phase models. It should just be models I, all the time. That, that that tripped me up the first time yeah. I read it. I thought it was all the time, and I was a little pretty excited about it. I still take it just even though we're not in as heavy as a psychic meta as we were uh, right around the end of Nephilim. When you know T Suns and Tyrants yeah. and Tyrants were running around. But honestly, it's because one of Mortal Wounds is one of the best ways to deal with a, uh, a no reroll to hit or wound or damage Correct. knight. Correct. And then the best way to do Mortal Wounds is usually the psychic phase. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's attached to an attack, at which point they often have to roll a hit or wound. Correct. Or something. You already knew to read I take it just to stop some stupid tag team of farseers from taking a cheeky eight wounds off of <laughs> yeah, me yeah. while I'm in the middle of an elder army and they're panicking about what to do. Mm-hmm. Perfectly um, said. Overall, I think this is a little bit of a medium portion of the book. I mean, we've got Infernal Quest for making a big knight obsec because, of course, little knights will be already obsec. Um, mm-hmm. Knight Dial- Diabolus. Diabolus. And Diab- Diab- I think it's Diabolus. That one's pretty good, too. Yeah, and Eager for the Kill are both fine for making a, a knight more killier. Which is fine. You should already be killing enough, so I don't think this is they they, they are that worth worth taking. Um, in this meta, at least, when most knights are, you, you can have one knight that isn't uh, fire and forget essentially. So buying warlord trades for knights that are going to get you know into combat probably once, I usually don't don't think's value. Uh, all right, but usually I do think it's quite good. Next up, Warpstorm discipline, mate. The psychic discipline, which can only be taken on the abominant or on another big knight that you you picked. Was it which one of the is it Pyro Throne? Uh, yeah. I think it's Pyrothrone makes a Knight of Psyker, and it's it. one of the Zinch upgrades that you never see. It does. Yeah. yeah this, <laughs> the Warp Storm discipline did not age well. Mm. I hate to say it. Yeah. Because, like, Winds of the Warp sounds like it should have been good, but it just wasn't. Mm. 
Uh, and it's because at the end of the day, Chaos Knights aren't a psychic focus army. So you end up with the only knight that can cast powers innately is the Abominant. And the Abominant himself is a little bit pillow-fisted. So you're like, okay, well, he's worse in, he's not very good in shooting. He's worse in combat, notably, than the other uh, unique Chaos Knights. Yep. Uh, like, notably worse. Dude. And so you're like, all right, this guy's psychic needs to be making up the difference for this man to be pillow-fisted mm-hmm. and cost more points. Mm-hmm. He's, the Abominant is worse than a carnival in combat. Like, yeah, no, he absolutely is. It, 100%, 100% is worse. And it's... It's unconscionable to me that they made that guy so bad in combat. But they, of their opinion, they were like, "Well, if he's good in, if he's you know not, if he's unkillable, he needs to be bad at everything." <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there are there are a lot of here things here that sound like they should be good. Um, it was a storm of malevolence uh, minus one or two attacks, wound rolls, and uh, self couple mortal wounds. That thought, I thought that was going to be good, but the fact is, you can't really buff your ability to cast these spells. You're pretty much just rolling the dice and hoping they happen. And most of these. Uh, six or more. Yeah, I really, really wish that there had been some kind of stratagem to just be... Honestly, like, yeah, they could have made the Zinch stratagem plus one to cast, Mm -hmm. or made one of the three Zinch things, like, you're a Psyker. If you're already a Psyker, plus you can re-roll cast rolls. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Just like, they could have just done something like that. Um, Because, yeah, Winds of the Warp, in my mind, is the, the best spell here. It's a Warp Charge six, Give the guy who casts it um, a five of feel no pain. If you pass on an eight, he's a six inch aura of six of feel no pain for war dogs. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a really good spell. But then you look at it and you're like, I'm just casting a spell with a CP reroll and that's it. Mm-hmm. And so you end up failing it a couple times. Because um, it's, you know, it's basically if you pass a warp charge six spell, you get the full buffed mark of the dread knight. And if you do that on the no rerolls guy, that's awesome. But then again, reality sets in at a certain point. When you realize this is going to get denied a lot because this guy yep. is rocketing towards yep. my opponent line yep. in deny range. Yep. I'm not cast with any modifiers here. Like, ha- like one third of the time I fail, one third of the time I pass it, but it's easily deniable. One third of the time it works beautifully and I'm super happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's like, but I took a kind of bad night to make this happen and mm. also he costs more. Yeah. I don't mind a couple of if you just take in a bomb just to be a more a little bit of a mortal wound factory, you this there can be some interesting things like coruscating hate. Um it wasn't spy school, was it cyclone it might have been cyclonic lamentations. To just yeah, just, just pump out a couple of mortal wounds and then do a bunch of dra- a bunch of terror shade mortal wounds, you can get an effective like mortal wound splasher, but other people pay 100 150 points for that guy <laughs> you're paying you're paying what close to 500 when you when you bought all the bells and whistles yeah yep. yeah it, it's it just ends up being like this version of mortal wound spam mm. is like not actually like good mortal wound spam yeah like cyclonic lamentation is a 12 inch or of takes a dread test and they take one mortal if they fail yeah and it's like ah yeah like that's a decent odds that a lot of things take one mortal wound but it's not everything mm. it's also right before i'm about to shoot them anyways correct Correct. Um, so I think it's actually quite of a, a quite a poor section of the book. Um, yeah, it's not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's the spells or the abominant. Yeah. that is really letting me down. But the package of those spells on abominant has never performed the way I thought it would. Correct. That's that's my feelings as well. It's never been as good as it could could have been, and therefore it's a bit of a disappointment. Onto the relics, mate. Give us the TLDR here. Uh, relics are really good. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Agreed. they're they're not crazy across the board but they're good enough that there are good relics that I want to take and don't have slots for every yeah. single time. Yeah, yeah. Because you can never get... They don't have any... There's nothing crazy here stratagem-wise. You get your three relics at most, like most books in 9th edition, and that's what you get. Um, 
like highlights the Veil of Medrengard for Pinvolm against shooting. It's yep. the best relic in the book, and it's exactly as good as it looked. Mm-hmm. Because it's one CP rotate every turn. Correct. And it's one CP on a big guy. So you just slam this on a big guy every time, in Co- my mind. Correct. Um, kind of some ones that stood out and ended up being better than they looked. Uh, Helm of Warpsight, which is yep. ignore hit and ballistic skill modifiers at range mm-hmm. and ignore cover. This is great. This works so well on a war dog. Um, uh, Helm of Dogs is the uh, yeah. the the loyal equivalent of Bastard's Helm. It's a six inch or uh, real ones to wound like a lieutenant. It's also plus one attack for the bear. Another just fantastic, good, just a yeah. good solid relic. Phenomenal. Nothing good. wrong about this. Um, there are some other like. I, I, every time I go over this, there's like th- there's two else that I want to take. I would love to find a reason to make the rune work, where for a, a dreadblade to get a, a selector felbond that no one else has. Mm-hmm. Like so, you get to you get to do a bit of a double down. I always love and try to figure trying to figure out a way to use that. I never really do. Then there's Panopoly of the Cursed Knight for a two up armor save, which can be extremely good in some situations. Uh, mm-hmm. the, what's some other fringe ones for you? Uh, so the other fringe ones for me because both of those are great, great ones that I would like to have. Um, Soul Raptor Swarm. Uh, it's for a Terra Shades model only, which is what lets it down. Because uh, this is the relic that I put on an Abominant when I take one before I'm sad about it. And uh, it gives them a 4-up Feel No Pain against mortal wounds all the time, not just mm-hmm. uh, Psychic Phase. It only doesn't work against uh, your Demonic Surge mortal wounds, but just don't take Iconoclast. And then in addition, every time a model flees while within Dread Range of this, you heal a wound to a max of 3 per phase. It's so good. So you can just heal three more three wounds in your opponent's morale phase because you terrorshaded someone in the couple guy and then they fail a morale check and a couple guys ran. You're like, sweet, let me just boop, 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 start healing. And I mm-hmm. love that on like theoretically, I love that on an abominant that's no rerolls to to hit a wound. Yeah. And then it passes its spell in my mind. So it's always a mm-hmm. five of feel no pain. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually hurt it, it just starts siphoning yeah. wounds off of people that run away from its morale checks because it's a war of terror. And the whole thing is just awesome. Um, the other one here that could go in the bomb is the Twisted Mask, where they know one more power and plus one to cast. But I honestly don't think that matters. I don't think it's enough to, to bother. I think I like the Soul Raptor Swarm even yeah. better. Uh, yeah, the, the, the plus one Psychic Cast is nice, but I like the Soul Raptor Swarm healing in four mm. against mortals, because honestly, sometimes you feel the spell. Shocking, I know. Mm-hmm. And I also really like the four up envelope on someone. Uh, the last one that's interesting, and again, there's just a ton of really interesting ones here, uh, is the Traitor's Mark, which is uh, yep. enemies in range can't auto-pass morale checks or re-roll failed morale checks. So, so just got there's, not as many, there's not as many re-roll, re-roll failed morale checks anymore mm. out there, but they still pop up on occasion. Yeah. Um, overall, I think this is a very good section of the book. I think this is one of the best sections of the book. Agreed. Yeah, the relics are great. There's, I, I can see myself spending three CP on relics in almost any list. Agreed. There's so many good choices here. All right, secondaries is up next. Now, was I just talking about a good section of the book? Ah, it looks like we've got another good section of the book. <laughs> um, how do these read at the moment? Uh, they have so changed of a little the bit. four secondaries here, I think one. I think a fitting challenge is the one that no longer exists because they cut the book from four to three uh, because they're completely different. So by definition, this one has aged very well. Thus, um, and that's because ruthless tyranny, which was the best one in here, was the battlefield supremacy one. That one used to be. The best one in the book. Now it is one of the best secondaries in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ruthless Tyranny is awesome. It's two points if you control half of the objectives on the board. Two, uh, one point if you have half of the objectives in the board in dread range. One point if you uh, have every objective in the board in dread range. And that changed to two points for every objective on the board in dread range. So you 
two additional points, I should say. Um, So you get to a point where this can honestly turn four and five. This is often five points a turn, meaning that you can slack off a little bit turn one if you want to, or you can just max it by turn three or four. Yeah. Um, So Ruthless Tyranny, phenomenal. Path of Destruction got a little bit better, but not significantly. In my mind, the biggest other change to this is actually two. Storm of Darkness changed significantly. Yes, uh, it did. It just got an extra point. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's, that turned it from a... Oh, God. It's pretty good now, isn't it? Because it's the one you do at the end of the morale phase. You start and then you finish it at the end of your psychic phase. Yeah, you start at the end of your morale phase, finish it at the end of your psychic phase, which means it's honestly the hardest secondary to explain in the game. I hate calling <laughs> my opponents. I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to take Storm of Darkness. Do you know what that is? And they're like, oh, it's your action one, right? Mm. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, but that guy shot. He can't do the action. I'm like, I started it in the morale phase. And then I'm not moving. And they're like, why didn't that guy move? And I'm like, he's actually still doing the action. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, weirdest thing, I know. Like, everyone thinks it's going to be like an end of movement to next command phase. And I'm like, it's not. In no way does it make sense. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's cool. It's honestly, it's it, it's so weird. But what I really like is that I really wanted them to, because the problem is because you start it when you in morale, finish it in psychic, you can't start it on turn five because there mm-hmm. isn't going to be another phase. Mm-hmm. So you will, you cap, you are artificially capped it to 12 in addition to this being a somewhat reasonably hard secondary to complete. And when they made it four points instead of three, that means you can get a 15 on it. But what it really means is that getting an eight on it is like super easy. Yeah. Where it used to be, you were, you were almost certainly going to get two objectives, but you know, between your opponent killing and some objectives being hard and then late game, you run out of ability to do it. You wouldn't always get it three or four times. So uh, capping at like a six felt bad. An eight is a little more tolerable and it's honestly pretty easy to get it to a 12. Yeah, totally agree. It, it, it's pretty reasonable to get a 12 out of this now. And for that, I think it is one of their better, one of their better mm-hmm. things. Um, yeah. It's, it's, Did, can I just mention one other secondary change that like just is massive? Sure. Uh, it's how they change when they did all the CP regeneration Correct. secondaries gonna, and arcs. I was going to bring that up. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I stole your thunder. Go for it. And that is that they they added a bunch of troops or war dogs slash mm-hmm. armagers. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, they're like, well, war dogs are the troops of knights, so therefore your entire army can get plus one CP if they get a kill on, uh, you know, on grind them down. Exactly. Like, oh. exactly right. Oh, and yeah. all of a sudden, I started taking grind them down and chaos knights as yep. like a. I'm going to get maybe six or nine points, and I'm going to get plus five CP. Don't look at that. Exactly right. It's going to power up my whole army. Uh, of course, we, we talked about assassination getting you um, CP as well. Uh, but the other one is behind enemy lines. If you're going down that route as well, just like sending in a war dog to their deployment zone for a CP and three points is also very juicy at times, depending on the deployment. Like if it's Dawn of War, it's so easy to do. Um, yeah, really cool. All right. Uh, I overall think the secondaries are probably equally best best slot in in the in the army right now they are one of the things this this is a relevant faction i believe yep absolutely yeah. it really helps the army out all right on to the data sheet abilities where we have the dread tests and dreaded abilities we already kind of went over those so i'm going to skip them but it is nice to know that there are so many things that trigger off these tests the first of which and most important of which is the harbingers of dread this is your mono faction ability so you if you are mono um, chaos knights every battle round you get to work yourself down a little choose your own adventure tree is the best way i've had to uh, to describe it turn one you start with so actually a bit another way to describe this is like um power from pain if power from pain had choices 
of which which path to take through the power of pain table. So that's another way of thinking about it. But turn one, you start in um, Dreadhost, which is minus one leadership and uh, plus one to combat attrition tests. And then you can choose from three options moving forward through every other turn. But the weird thing is you, you can choose your path, but you can never jump more than one space to the left or to the right. So uh, is that a good way of describing it? Yeah, basically. Yeah, you've, you've got you're, – you're just playing – freaking hopscotch you know you've got three columns and you can just go left or right picking uh one thing out of each column as you proceed down the turns uh and then you just can only move one over at a Mm. time it is honestly it took me a little bit to like grasp how this actually worked like when we had the book in our hands and we're like i'm squinting at the pages like trying to do a codex review i'm like what is happening i honestly think yeah like it it was just weird uh (laughs) but it ended up being great like, I was not going to lie, the first time I read this book, I thought it was a, t- a buff for just that turn. Same, same. And then, like, we got through it, and then we, like, we realized, like, wait a minute. Oh, my God, these things last for the whole game. They are they exactly right. So by the time turn five rolls around, you will have one, two, three, four, five active buffs, which is freaking significant as hell. And should you have knights alive, like, at turn four... I rarely see Chaos Knight players lose if they have any decent quantity left because it just becomes so much harder to kill them. Because some of these are minus one to hit. Some of these are, you must take a a dread test in order to act, to get points, to shoot what you want to shoot. Um, there is so it's so much craziness here happening here. I love. I think this is this is my. It might not be the best part of the book, but this is absolutely my favorite. Honestly, I think it is. I think it is one of the best parts of the book, just because it it gives Chaos Knights that their identity mm. it, in my it, mind. Like, this is what made the army unique and it's what lets them play the way they do that's a perfect that's perfectly said this is their identity is in this tree is in this table uh everything about it and what i love is that there is a bunch of stuff that triggers off um dread tests but then you're like oh well i'm playing custodies or necrons with leadership a billion and dread tests and it's not going to be a thing so we just go down one of the other trees and there's this stuff that'll hurt them in other ways like the creeping dismay you just ruin all their all their um or their aura abilities and their aura ranges and stuff like that, or stop them being able to um, perform actions, etc. So I'm I'm a big fan. I think this I think this is very well constructed, and it's possibly my favorite monofaction bonus of this edition. It, it honestly is mine. Mm. I, uh, yeah, this this is the one that feels perfect for them. It really does. It feels right. It feels so good for the army. Um, but yeah, I couldn't say enough glowing stuff about this. So we're going to talk quickly about some data sheets, mate, and then we're going to wrap up. But which data sheets have held up and which data sheets have been absolute busts and which ones have disappointed? Um, all of the war dogs have held up reasonably well. Agreed. Executioners are spiky halberins are great. Mm-hmm. Stalker, best data sheet in the book. I bar none, as far as I can 100% agree, especially with the way 9th edition has played with the meta armies that have been, since this book has come out, the Stalker has been the ubiquitous, this is never going to be a bad thing to have six of, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just, yeah, just Stalkers are great. You get access to every melee option a Wardog could get. You get access to most of the gun options a Wardog could get. You get to mix and match as you see fit. You have all the right keywords. You have your choice of indirect or stubber top gun. Mm-hmm. Um, you can build them for any kind of household. You can build them for any kind of you know obsession. Like you, you can do anything with a stalker. Every list ever has stalkers in it. Yep, it's uh, the only data sheet that is in every list. Agreed. Executioners are in most lists. 
stalkers are in every list. Agreed. And that's um, mostly, that mostly because of the chain cannon, cannon right? Because they, they, the chain cannon is, is a big part yeah. of it. Yeah. For, for anybody who didn't know, because there's so many people who do not know what they're what these things are like you say executioner they're like huh is that the one with the melter one and you're like no um the stalker is the chain cannon melee one um so you continue mate yeah well it could have a, it could have a thermal actually it can do either True. One. uh but the, the chain cannon obviously is a big appeal of chaos knights because you just get more weapon options than your loyal lapdogs correct would, uh which helps a lot crime um, pays for the chaos knights crime, crime absolutely pays for chaos knights they 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 looted all the best gear as they left i don't know what the hell the Dark Mechanicum's doing that the Imperium couldn't put together a chain gun, but Dark Mechanicum was just like, grab this thing off of like a Lehman Rust was like, no problem. Put it <laughs> on a knight. <laughs> um, yeah, on- honestly, I-, I-, I really feel like the first four war dogs in the book are all good. Uh, the Carnivore is my least favorite personally because I really like guns, mm-hmm. but, I- but honestly, the Carnivore has a defined role. It is the cheapest war dog. It is also the fastest war dog. It is also the hardest hitting in combat. And even though that doesn't make it into my list, that is enough unique things that it has plenty of value. And it's a good delivery uh, for, for honestly, for a couple different things. Like if you want to just make it as fast as possible and have one thing go touch and turn off obsec or contest an objective, suddenly you've got really good value with that. Agree. Um, for me, Stalker is the ubiquitous take all. And then it's kind of just like you actually have pretty good meta picks for most of, the, for most of what you want. Uh, it's you just need more chain cannons, take brigands. They also, you know, crack your transports for you, which is very nice to, you know, let the stalkers finish things off or havoc launches. Uh, I do like the carnivore, but for me, it's a usually a one of or none of in most of my lists. Although they are making some, I, I have noticed, especially in Poland over in over in Europe, you're starting to see six carnivore lists. Like starting to see people actually start to play the melee pressure you know, carnivores. I, I did notice that. I actually spent a lot of time today looking at the uh, the the chaos knight lists that the various Polish teams took to the Alpine Cup. Yeah. yeah, I spent some time looking at that, and I it's not it's not my style, Chaos Knights, but that doesn't mean it's not good. Um, and then onto the big knights. So the only one I the Huntsman is the only one I really just like shrug at and be like, why are you here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brigands, Brigands also great in my mind. Huntsman, no reason to exist. It's a yep. stalker that can buy a melt gun, but doesn't have terror shades. Oh, yeah. It also has half the options. Exactly right. Worst and sure, sometimes words. you want. Yeah, sometimes you want that option but you don't have terror shades. And so just take a stalker. And I guess once you've taken nine stalkers, yes, the huntsman is your 10th stalker, but usually the other dogs are good enough that you'll take the variety instead. Yep. All right. Onto the big guys, which as you is it, keeping in theme, because next, next one after this is going to be Imperial Knights. Uh, the theme of the edition is that big knights suck and it has been, it is held true in this one as well. Upon release, everyone has been was really high on the abominant, the unkillable abominant, until they realized the abominant doesn't kill anything itself. <laughs> so it dropped off. It's cool. It's all well and good to have a, a 500 point model that doesn't die, but if, it, if you're paying 500 points for a model that doesn't also doesn't do anything, it's not a great exchange rate. Um, tell us where you're at, mate. Yeah. So going down the line, um, the night despoiler is garbage because it is just the spiky loyal loyal knight kit mm-hmm. with the loyal knight weapons. But unfortunately, they made those weapons bad. Correct. So yep. the yep. same reason that it's bad in Imperial Knights is the same reason it's bad here. Except this knight also doesn't do anything. Yeah. Like it doesn't have any rules. So it's technically it's a nine inch aura. You can heroic three inches with war dogs. 
no one gives a no one gives a damn. <laughs> Thank you for restraining your swear words. Um, I'd also like to point out that unlike your the household abilities that you get Imperial Knights, these guys just give auras like Captain Auras, Lieutenant Auras. They are much more simplistic in what they offer um, in that regard. So yeah, Desecrator though is something that you are quite high on as as a big knight. Yeah, yeah, the Desecrator is my favorite big knight. Um, and there's there's two reasons for this. So the the theory is that you want one big knight. Because a big knight is less damage output per point than our armagers. It's also less um, uh, wounds per point than mm-hmm. armagers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, wow, why would I take a big knight? And it's really just to have a concentrated platform for buffs for the Correct. ones that you can only take one of. Yep. And the main one for that is Blessings of the Dark Master. If you want to take a big knight, you do take Blessings of the Dark Master. You do give it the Veil of Medrengard, and you're like, well, this is the most points efficient way that i can get a four pinnable no reels to hit no reels doing no reels damage into my list mm-hmm. and let's make a t8 as well yep. and so so you if the theory is if you want a big knight which i do i like having a big knight in my knight's army um the desecrator in my mind is the big winner because he does he has two things going for him i honestly know he's more than he, he has he has like four things going for him one he is one of the cheaper options at Flume Four Hundo, tied with the Rampager. Yep. So they're both appealing for that reason. Both cheaper than the Abominant, which is appealing. The Knight Desecrator is the the one with a gun in combat. The Rampager is the one with double double weapon. And usually the balance for that is that the the double weapon guy, like the Gallant, is weapon skill two and plus one attack and a little faster. Yep. And that's true for the Rampager. It has all those things. But the Desecrator is a little slower, one less attack is still weapon skill too. It's a big deal. So the Desecrator is the same weapon skill as a Rampager, it's just one less attack two inch slower, which isn't nothing, but but uh, what it gets for that is that it is a, a nine inch aura of rear ones to hit at range, the Rampager is the same thing in melee, and the Desecrator has a gun. And the gun it has is, honestly, it is the worst two shot weapon I've ever fired in my life. <laughs> However, when it, when it connects, when it connects, yeah. you feel it. Because uh, what the night, what the the desecrator laser destructor is, is seventy two inch heavy two strength fourteen AP five D three plus flat six damage, and not only is that like yeah that's a good gun mm. two shots no inherent rerolls but there's a lot of ways to add them. Uh, there's even a relic to take it to three shots. That's all, all all fun and games. The big thing here is that you want to unlock his favor as quickly as possible, and so what I do every game is I find a random freaking rhino. Uh, something that my opponent has been like, this is going to die for the cause, and they've made mm-hmm. their peace with it. Mm-hmm. And I save it for him. Nice. And I, I'm like, all right, this is D3 plus six damage. That's minimum seven. I'm going to chip three wounds off this rhino so that it's, ten, so that it's seven wounds left. And I'm going to pop the des- destructor on it. And if I happen to get that thing through, boom, it explodes. They don't get a save. The damage is enough. I just need to get one wound roll for Correct. it. Wounds on a two with strength 14. Yep. Basically, if I get a hit on two shots hitting on threes, if I get one hit, I'm going to CP roll one to wound if I get it, and it'll pop the rhino clean, and now he's trans hitman. So good. And that's when we're gaming. Then, that's then, what I want. Then he can send. He also just get, happens to give a Captain's Aura, 9-inch Aura of real wants to hit as well, which ain't nothing. Yeah. I like that better in shooting than melee, because I think you need it more in shooting than melee. You're going to get it on a lot more things at once, where you're just not getting realistically that many different Chaos Knights activating with that aura in melee at a time. Yeah. You yep. can plan out your whole army's ruling ones to hit and shooting. It really does bother me that these are only like so. The Desecrator is just for shooting. The Rampage is just for combat. 
I think that is stupid. I think the Knight Desecrator should just be a Captain's aura all the time, and the Rampager should just be a Lieutenant's aura all the time. I don't know. I don't know why they've they've made that distinction. That they're both real ones to hit. One is just melee. One is just shooting. They sh- yeah. One should be yeah. It's it's stupid to me um, because it just it makes the Rampager also. like uh, way worse. <laughs> way worse. Uh, yeah, and the Rampager. And the problem is that the Rampager loses the comparison to the Desecrator. Agreed. He is two inches faster, plus one attack. He's hit reroll aura will come up less and he doesn't have a gun on the way in and they're the same points exactly right and yeah. that's not because the the desolate desecrator is under cost to be clear it's because the rampage is over yeah um, rampage could be could be, ramp- could be 370 380 yeah I, I i would i would seriously look at it if it was a 20 30 point discussion yeah, but at the same points i'll take a gun and a captain or in mm-hmm. shooting mm-hmm. way more than no gun captain or in combat um next up is the abominant i think we've already told you guys how we feel about the age like milk it really did not go well it came out and it was the hotness and it, it looked good on release it really looked good on release and then the game just got more durable and more killy and it just did not hold up on either front unfortunately uh it's still still the coolest kit like oh the tail the the freaking the horned helm head is so good looking um, yeah, I didn't know that I wanted a knight with a tail, but here we are. <laughs> now, the last data sheet to discuss, which we can probably just not. It's the Knight Tyrant. Never take it. Never heard of it. It's unfortunately horrific. Same reason that it's bad in the Imperial Knights book is yeah. the reason it's bad Dude, here. I have seen... Except that there are even less bonuses Correct. That you can apply to it at, at least, at least in the Imperium side, you can take a Castellan and just pull the the poker machine ripcord, the roulette ripcord, and just see if it generates thirty mortal wounds for you. You know, because because yeah. you meticulous calibrate or whatever. At least you can just pull the ripcord and just see what this guy pumps out for its six hundred and whatever points. The the tyrants, there's there's nothing they can afford that they can give to you. Like there's really it's really sad. Um, but anyway, that is going to bring us to the end of the dissemination of the rules of this book, my man. Uh, tell us your thoughts. Uh, sorry, we we actually missed two sections. Wow, I'm sloppy. I'm losing it, guys. It's over. I'm I'm slipping. What were your first impressions of Chaos Knights when they first came out? When the first time you went through that book cover to cover, how did you feel like they were? So first time I I saw the Chaos Knight book, uh, I was I was generally thinking like, oh, this book is really cool. Mm-hmm. Nothing in here stands out as immediately broken. That's kind of nice. Wow, a lot of these special rules are interesting. I bet a bunch of these sub factions are going to see play. I was wrong. Yeah. Um, I was right on the balance. I was wrong on the, oh yeah, I bet we're going to see a lot of variety from this book. Um, the other thing that stands out to me now to then is that for a knight army, this takes a surprising amount of time and effort to unwrap. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very, a lot of people right when the book came out were like, oh, chaos knights, I'm going to play it like it's a chaos monster mash. And I'm just going to slam as many, just offensive uh, output buttons as I can and sprint at people. Yeah. And I don't think that works. No, unfortunately it doesn't. They're too easy to roadblock. There's too much, there's so much terrain on tables now because we need to do it to survive that it actually just stops that from being a play. Uh, you know, one guardsman standing in the pivotal gap turns out you got tabled because you couldn't negotiate a single guardsman. Uh, also that's always annoyed me by the way. <laughs> it's always annoying me that big old griblies. Maybe that's something uh, my wish listing for tenth edition that you can't just like make those guys irrelevant. Anyway, uh, and what yeah, you need terror shades to kill them. You need terror shades to, uh, to kill the guardsman. To kill the guardsman because your big giant building sized monster can't negotiate <laughs> one like five foot five guy standing in front of him. Anyway, um, and where are they at now? 
Tell, tell, tell us how they're, how they're holding up and how, they're, how they um, uh, are in they, the metagame. They debuted and have maintained just in between like a 47 and 51% win rate the entire time. It's insane. They it's, have just been rocking down yeah. the line. This could, they have gotten very minimal buffs. Mm-hmm. The buffs they've gotten are small secondary tweaks all in their favor. But then they lost a secondary that wasn't very good, and that's totally fine. They have gotten no nerfs. The, the top dogs have continuously been nerfed as GW plays Whack-A-Mole. And Chaos Knights just keep on paddling. There is, like T-Suns, there is no section for Renegade Knights in the balanced data slate. They have never, I don't believe they've ever been mentioned in a balanced data slate. Yeah, no, they they haven't. Yeah, it's why. Uh, the last time they got mentioned in a balanced data slate was the last book. Was the previous book. I I think in when it's all said and done, this might go down as the best Knights book we've ever had. Because it is pretty fair and reasonable. They're killable. Because they don't have a, a stupid amount of defensive buffs that Imperial Knights can sometimes have. Um, their damage output is good, but not obscene. And they don't feel like they just, yeah, sorry, they don't feel like they just stats check you off the table. I think this is a very, this is the most fair and reasonable Knights book we've ever had, I believe. Yeah, this is the best. This is, I mean, small competition. This is the best of the three <laughs> different iterations of the rules that Chaos Knights have had. Yeah. I also think this is better than any Imperial Knight book we've had because it has not been horrible slash horribly oppressive at any point. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, obviously later is better because GW is a better and better idea of what they want to do with a, a knight book. Because when we first got knights, they were very, uh, um, they weren't very interesting. No, they were uh, very they were just what they were. And it was like, oh, wow, stomp and tight and D weapons are broken. Everything else is. <laughs> Send it. Exactly right, dude. But on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode. Hope you guys have enjoyed this discussion on the Renegade Knights. It's a faction that both John and I are extremely passionate about. Um, the way this came about was I met up with Jack and John at the at Cherokee Open this year at Smoky Mountains. And then we had a, how long was the drive back? Eight hours? Uh, we had like a, a, I think it was about nine hours. Yeah. Uh, Jack passed out and fell asleep within the first two hours. And then John and I proceeded to talk nothing but Renegade Knights for the next seven. Uh, and by the end of it, I was a Renegade Knight player by the time I reached Tallahassee. <laughs> it was... Yeah, hey, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm I'm good at corrupting, right? You There's are. An aura of corruption. Th- but this, this is the thing, yeah. Neither you or I are chaos players, but Renegade Knights is the one we all like. We will we will do anything for you. You you can do no wrong to us. We love you. Yep. <laughs> Fully, I'm I'm hoping to continue that tradition into tenth edition, Me too. where I am a loyal Imperium player who owns bugs and chaos knights. That's that's dude, <laughs> spot on. Well, I'm a I'm a loyal uh, Dark Angels player, which comes with its own connotation. So I can get away with it. I'm, I'm, I'm flexible like that. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us, mate. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. We're going to go over and record part two, where we're pretty much just going to be answering a bunch of patron questions regarding both 10th edition and Renegade Knights. So if you want to get joined in and jump in on that and just hear me and John just or me and any other expert muse upon your musings, come over to Patreon, Art of War Down Under. Hope to see you there. We've also got a phenomenal Discord community that is going strong, and I every week I release a little what's, what's become called Adam's Short Shorts which is just kind of a 20-minute uh, vlog, I guess, audio, little podcast of how I'm feeling about the game, my travels, my experiences of the world, and the hobby. So if you're interested in that as well, come over and join us here. Um, plenty of great content and great people. John, your turn to plug. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. Um, you definitely should sign up for our part two of Down Under. That is where all the juicy bits are hidden. But you should also please go check out the Art of War 40K YouTube channel. Give it a like, subscribe, leave comments, help our algorithm, all the good stuff. And uh, check out the War Room. Uh, try out that free trial if you've never been in there. And uh, see what we got. Uh, there's a lot of excitement coming for 10th edition. So uh, 
you know, if, if you wait till 10th edition drops, no hard feelings, but, uh, uh, we are going real hard in there. And, uh, boy, the second, the second we have 10th edition rules, you know that that, that place I, is going to explode. I know, what, gonna you, be I, lot, yeah. I know what you guys, I know what you guys are working on and what you guys have planned for 10th edition. And it's going to be a tsunami of like, it's going to be amazing. Anyway, we're going to peace out. See you on part two. Look after yourselves out there. Hopefully you're all enjoying your last couple of months of ninth edition, reveling in it. And uh, yeah, see you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under. A content review podcast for Warhammer 40k. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under. Signing out from tomorrow.